0: What up, y'all? This is John LaRance with Anesthesia Guidebook. Before we jump into what will be an electric conversation on social media with Jason Bolt, I want to give a shout out to a couple folks who have reached out recently. Jessica Schell and Marissa with Sassy Anesthesia. Thanks for the shout outs on Instagram. My wife told me just today that I need to ask people to follow Anesthesia Guidebook on Instagram because my following is, quote, weak sauce. (laughs) So thanks for those shout outs. And Joe from St. Paul, Minnesota wrote in response to the last podcast on the Demo-Do teaching technique, the following, I'm a CRNA and work at one of our level one trauma centers in St. Paul. We have SRNAs from two of our anesthesia schools that do rotations with us, and I've been a clinical preceptor for the past six years. I recently listened to and really enjoyed your best practices in precepting episode and the Demo-Do episode and got inspired to present at one of our monthly staff meetings on precepting. As part of getting ready for this, I've informally interviewed a few of our senior SRNAs and have specifically asked questions related to do throughout their training. I'm surprised to say, but I'm probably guilty as well, how these students have never been shown an intubation start to finish, a pre-op interview, proper positioning, etc. These students stated how helpful that would have been to them when brand new. I started incorporating Demo do into my practice today with a brand new SRNA, probably sixth day in the OR, and she commented to me how helpful this has been. Such a simple intervention that makes a real difference. I also incorporated some of the tips in the best practices episode, and she commented as well how helpful this was at the end of our day. I wanted to thank you for these podcast episodes as well as this podcast in general, which I find very enjoyable and look forward to sharing some of these tips with my colleagues. All the best, Joe. Joe, thanks for the work you do, man. The SRNAs you work with are lucky to have you, and thanks for your comment. All right, so let's get to it. Dr. Jason Bolt, DNP, CRNA, is a YouTuber and social media influencer in the anesthesia community. He graduated from Union University with his doctorate in anesthesia in 2019 and now practices in a collaborative group in the Bay Area. He offers mentorship through his YouTube channel memberships and enjoys helping others reach their goals in nursing and anesthesia. He volunteers as a member of the AANA Communications Committee and is active in advocating for CRNAs on a legislative level. He is better known online as Bolt CRNA and you can find him at Bolt underscore CRNA on YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook. I've seen Jason's work over the last couple of years and have been impressed by his desire to communicate who CRNAs are and how folks can navigate the path to becoming CRNAs. He currently has thousands of followers on YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok. How many? Who knows? There's probably more just since you've started listening to this podcast. His stuff is on fire, he's lit. And he's here to talk about how to leverage social media and avoid its landmines, the pitfalls of social media. We talk about everything from how not to get kicked out of anesthesia school, because what you're doing on social media, to skinny scrubs. It's amazing. It's unabridged, almost completely unedited. Just an hour of us laying it out there. So with no further ado, let's get to the show. All right. Well, Jason Bolt, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast, man. I'm stoked to have this conversation with you tonight. Yeah. Thanks for having me on John.
1: I'm a huge fan and I've already told you this, but I've watched your podcast or listened to your podcast for years now. So
0: I'm honored to be on here. Oh dude. Honor's all mine, man. You're the one with like thousands of people following you on social media outlets. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Right. Which is it's a small little community, but, uh, but I appreciate it. It's a small community, man. Uh, well, cool. We are here to talk about social media and what it means for anesthesia learners, for SRNAs, for anesthesia residents. So I'm stoked about that. So just kind of in your own words, tell us a little bit about I'm mean, not, I, you know, did the intro for you on the podcast, but tell us a little bit about what's going on in your world with social media. How are you utilizing social media right now? What are the platforms that you're on? What do you what do you find most interesting for yourself? Yeah, so I have always been a YouTuber. Uh, That's my primary
1: form of using social media. I started that way back in 2015. I still do it. I try and release a video once a week. And I find YouTube to be the most uh, high yield for social media because it gives me a chance to just chat on a video, talk about a topic. You know, I pick a specific topic for the week and I just discuss that, flesh it out as long as I want to, upload it on YouTube. It gives people opportunities to watch it whenever they want to it uh you know comment on it and stuff and it also can be monetized which is useful because when you're uh performing something or creating content a lot in your free time it makes sense if there's a little bit of monetary gain to especially at least pay for the cameras and some of the equipment that you're using so youtube is good for that i use youtube personally a lot not just as a creator but i just enjoy watching youtube i spend most of my free time either on netflix or youtube so oh interesting yeah. Yeah. I consume a ton of YouTube. I just enjoy the candid kind of, you know, uh, videos that people put out there. And, and I just like to see people who are just content creators creating videos that they like, where they just go to Hardee's and they order the whole menu and then they eat the whole thing. And that's, <laughs> you
0: know, it's, it's very interesting. That's awesome, dude. So you talked about monetizing social media. I mean, what do you do that with your YouTube channel? I do. I didn't do it for like the first maybe three or four years. And then
1: somewhere along the way, I guess I was in the middle of CRNA school and I realized I bought a camera and I bought this equipment and I was so poor and broke and realized I was like using my student loan money uh, to buy things for the YouTube channel. I thought, I need to monetize these videos. All it does when you monetize it is it it just adds a commercial into your video. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So it's not like someone's actually paying me physical money, but they just that the commercial pays me at like 10 cents or something. So, over time, it's still very little money, but at least
0: over time, it pays for the basics. Uh, so, I use that for that reason. That's awesome, man. Well, we're here to talk about social media and all the things uh, related to that. So, on the monetization of social media accounts, do you do anything else that is like, like that generates income for you in terms of your presence on social media? I have not actually monetized.
1: I, I recently, in the last year, created a membership on my channel, which people, if they want more, because I found that through the YouTube videos, people will start to follow me and comment and, and try and keep up with me and, and email me or find me on Instagram and direct message me. And they want mock interviews. They want resume critiques. They want advice on how to get into CRNA school. They, they just want a lot from me. Yeah. And I realized there's a need, apparently, for uh, for these services. And it's just way too much time of mine to do this for thousands of people. So I created a mentorship kind of membership through my YouTube channel. And uh, so you can join there. And so that is monetized. You pay a monthly subscription fee for whatever level of mentorship that you're looking for. And uh, yeah, so, so in that sense, I've monetized like that. Uh, but outside of that, I really like brand deals and stuff. I really don't do those. I've been approached many, many, many times over the years for different types of brand deals and brand ambassadors and all that. And I just I never really take them up on it. I, I don't really feel comfortable taking money representing a brand unless I know the brand very well and I understand their background and their ethics and what they yep. do with their
0: money. And uh, so yeah, I just always turn those deals down. What kind of what kind of brands are you talking about? Like apparel or like Pharmaceutical companies, uh, industry, like equipment providers, that kind of stuff, or what kind of brands do you have you inter- interacted with? Yeah, clothing is one of them.
1: It's it seems kind of random, but I will have people approach me to do um, like clothing deals where I wear their clothing on camera and they pay me for it, and it's it's not even. It's like a unique clothing, like an urban type of clothing brand that I never even really wear in my videos. It doesn't really make sense. It's not like they would have any reason to think that I would be the best person for that. But they <laughs> approach me for it. Uh, I've been approached for, um, you know, medical study books and stuff like um, websites and things and apps that y- you know medical people may buy or purchase or use. And I have like, if they'll give me the app and I review the app, there was a recent app, um, an anesthesia app, actually, that they gave me a free app and they said, Hey, review it, tell us what you think. And if you like it, then you can say that you like it on Instagram. And I did that, you know, and I said, Hey, I like the app and it's a good app. You know, I'll represent that if it's, if it's high quality and it's not a monetary thing. It's like just, I get the app for free or something. Yeah. yeah, I'll do that. But, uh, but yeah, general, like
0: that, that's typically who approaches me. So what, w- why avoid money from commercial interests? Like you've got this membership income where you're doing work, you're connecting with people who want to connect with you. So that's like a certain way of interacting with an audience, but for obviously for the people who are listening, where do your values or ethics or just just preferences fall to say, I'm not going to get involved with industry in any significant way?
1: Well, it, it kind of roots all the way back to the reason I started YouTube. And it was always just an organic reason for wanting to connect with people, wanting to help people, just show people my way that I was doing things and that it can be done a certain way or, or just, just kind of give a behind-the-scenes, candid view of the world of anesthesia, of being a srna and then becoming a crna and i just liked connecting with people and i didn't like the idea of selling them things you know unless i really had a strong feeling that this was a high quality something that they would benefit from or something i benefited from that they may like as well Um, and so if a brand approaches me and i don't feel like it fits that really tight stringent requirements i'm just not going to get involved there's also always some red tape attached to it too. Like they're always going to ask you to do a certain thing. They're going to want you to say this certain line or shoot a certain video a certain way. And I don't like anybody telling me how to run my c- content or to yeah. create my things. And if it didn't come naturally for me, I don't really want to say it. So that's, that's part of the reason that I don't do them as well. Yeah. There's an authenticity piece to it. It sounds like. Totally. I like to be authentic, candid. And I don't like to put a whole bunch of extra work on top of myself. I already create the content. It's extra work on top of me to have to write out a script or write out a certain thing and say certain lines. I've done it for the AA and A before for some of their videos because I work with the AA and A a lot. And even then, it's not for money at all. It's just for advocating for CRNAs. And I still find myself struggling with the idea of like reading a script and not just speaking candidly. Yeah. So.
0: Yeah. 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 Anyway. That's interesting. Well, man, one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about today, you know, this topic I think is hopefully going to be relevant for, you know, med students, nursing students, SRNAs, anesthesia residents, in terms of how to leverage social media for your own personal benefit, uh, and then also how to avoid the pitfalls of social media, particularly for those individuals who are in like a learner Role like you're not a credentialed uh, healthcare provider. I mean, you may you know you may be a registered nurse if you're an SRNA or something like that, but you're still kind of in this uh, domain where you may have extra scrutiny on yourself in terms of how you present yourself in a public domain. Now, that's not to say, and we can talk about this if you want to get into it, like any healthcare provider, right, is going to have scrutiny and there's kind of like rules to follow if you're, you know, a healthcare provider and you're posting about healthcare stuff on social media, even personal stuff like, you know, alcohol consumption or whatever, you know, Uh, Or certainly, obviously, we've seen, you know, with the Me Too movement and, you know, people uh, having consequences about uh, racist terminology and that kind of stuff um, for their professional lives, not just healthcare providers, but anybody. So, obviously, those things are are kind of themes uh, to this topic, but I want to kind of hone in specifically with you on, you know, uh, anesthesia learners, uh, critical care nurses who are headed to grad school to become CRNAs. How can they leverage uh, social media for their benefit? And then we also should talk about like what are the pitfalls of social media? How can they avoid like the landmines and stuff? So, so what are some things on your mind that that come to mind when we kind of approach this big topic? Totally.
1: So yeah, I mean, you you bring up a really great point with social media and the fact that it's it's a fairly newer thing. I mean, it's to the extent that it's in now, it's maybe been ten years that it's been like this, where everyone has these public pages. And all of these companies and schools, universities, programs, they all have these social media, um, you know, clauses written into their codes of conduct now to kind of, and it, you'll find that if you read them, they're, they're large umbrella type terms used, which pretty much leave it open for the company or the hospital or the school or whatever it is to pretty much use, use whatever they want against you. I mean, if you have a social media page and they think or deem something you've said or done doesn't meet. Guidelines that they have, or opinions that they have, or anything—a lot of it can be used against you. And the problem that you run into with training, like you say, as being an SRNA or um, a you know med student or anybody who's in professional training, you're under a lot of um, scrutiny. I mean, you're under a tight eye of of you know your professors and clinical preceptors, and you really are expected to lay low. And as the world of social media has exploded open, you have a lot of these people, me being one of them as well, when I was in training, who had social media accounts that maybe had grown and were were you know, I had a YouTube channel before I ever went to CRNA school. So like, these are things that existed before training, and then you start training and you think, do I just give up this whole aspect of myself and my social media accounts, and my Instagram and some of these people have like 70,000, 100,000 followers, quite a bit of following. It might be a financial thing for them at that point. And then the idea is like, do I just give all this up because I'm now under all this scrutiny and all these guidelines that restrict me? And, uh, and yeah, there's a lot of landmines with it. And one of them just being, if, if you say anything on there that could be considered political or inflammatory or really just something that your program just disagrees with. Like my university was a Christian university at at its core. And if you were on your social media account, posting pictures of you drinking alcohol on the weekends or something with your friends, that would be considered, you know, something that they could have used against you. They didn't often use it against you, but you, you had the reality of knowing like if they wanted to use this against you, it could be used. And uh, so, yeah, there's a lot of strain on students now.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. There's so many ways to spin off of this. Uh, let's just maybe tick off some of like the seemingly obvious things, but just to mention them, like like what would you say would not be good things to do on social media, particularly if you are a student of some type in a health profession role. Like what what should you know, you've hit on stuff that like okay anything that your program could find offensive, but can we drill down on that or expand on that a little bit? Yeah. So, I mean, this most recent election,
1: a lot of people ran into this where you have, uh, you know, politics between Trump or Biden, Republican, Democrat, things like that. And you find that a lot of people get very heated online. They they get into discussions. They start talking about things. It can very quickly, especially in the last few years, branch into racial politics and other things which you will find that your universities and your, um, you know, your companies, your hospital systems, they will have rules and, and code of conducts written in their policies that encompass those topics. And so if you're online and they find out you're saying these things, then you can be fired or let go from your program. I mean, that's just one simple example. It has nothing to do with healthcare. It's It's maybe your personal beliefs in your personal life but um, they're deemed you know, toxic for social media purposes. I mean, you can't say those types of things. Um, other things that you would run into as a healthcare provider would be like posting pictures Maybe you're in the operating room and you want to show your friends the anesthesia machine that you're working on that, you know, such a cool machine that you're getting to learn that you're studying and you want to even teach them a little bit and be like, this is the bag that I squeeze. And this is what an APL valve is. And it just just, people are fun and is excited about this experience to be learning. And you find out that the hospital decides they didn't like that you took a photo of, of their machine that like you don't own, that you don't have the rights to that machine yeah. to post it online. And normally... Nobody would really care. But if they decide they care, then they can come after you for that. I mean, it's really their, it's their property that you took a photo of and put online. They could say that that's in a violation of some sort. So I've heard so many stories from students who have gotten in trouble for one thing or another that you would think is not a big deal and that a thousand other people have done, but it just takes that one manager or that one person in leadership over you who decides they don't like it, or maybe they're looking for a reason to not like it and to get, get you in trouble for
0: something. And suddenly you're now getting called into an office. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I I think highlights that come to to mind for me is that, you know, basically just don't mention your employer on social media. Like it's it's better if you just anonymize yourself. Like for me with the podcast, I'm a CRNA who works in Portland, Maine. That's all people need to know. Like, I'm not, I'm not repping my employer. I'm not an official spokesperson for them. There's no identifiable anything of mine. Like, like you said, you take a picture of an anesthesia machine, you might have a hospital logo or just a little, little tag. Like our, our machine's got, you know, our hospital like acronym letters on it. it, you know, Dot, 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 whatever number machine that is. And so that, that is now tagged specifically to that hospital. Um, obviously avoiding things that are just blatantly offensive or could be just in the social climate that we're in. So, uh, you know, like you said, politics stuff, um, uh, things about um, disparaging other people in any way, uh, racially charged comments, all of those things I think are, are landmines that people could, um, you know, that you could find yourself not just in trouble for, but just in a world of hurt, whether you're going to, you're going to lose people, Interest from people who are you know you're trying to reach and have an audience with, or you may actually find like some legit consequences, whether that's your particular job at the particular institution that you work with, or even the board of nursing, whether in that one state or maybe even nationally, if you've done things online. So, your online presence definitely has consequences for your professional life that I think sometimes we just think, man, everything's going online and no one really cares, but you do have to be cognizant about what you post online.
1: Yeah. And, and that's a really good tip to tell people just stay anonymous. Like don't. And I never, when I was in CRNA school, I never said what, what university I went to. I never disclosed that publicly until after I graduated. I never speak about the employer that I specifically work for even now. And it all seems kind of silly and some people will think that it's maybe paranoid, but it's not. It's legitimate. And you will have you know problems if you start to disclose who you're working for online because then suddenly you're representing them. You're, they can say that you're representing them as a company with what you're saying on your social media. And I'll tell you a, a quick story here. When I was in school, I was a second year and I was making YouTube videos and i never said where i went to school but i posted a video talking about um learning central lines and learning blocks and stuff some of the things that we were learning in class at the time and there was a group of physician anesthesia residents online in a in a really toxic forum that got very upset by this video and started to attack it and they um they went through. I don't. They went through like some crazy investigative something to figure out where I went to school. Like I don't. Somebody who knew me personally must have told them where I went to school because suddenly the clinical sites that I that our school rotated at were starting to get phone calls, and then those clinical sites started to call my program director. My program director called me and said, "Why am I hearing things through the grapevine about you putting things online that's getting our clinical sites mad?" Like residents at the yeah, clinical sites good. are getting upset now. And they're saying, you're saying, and of course they e- exaggerated and they said, I said things that were not what I said, but essentially what the program director told me is I don't really care what you're saying or not saying online. I care that I'm getting a phone call on a Monday afternoon at home about you. And that's I, and you're, you know, like we said, lay low and when you're in training, you're never supposed to be recognized or ever step out of line in training and if you ever do you're going to get your head smashed back down to where you get in your place <laughs> so the fact that they were getting a phone call they were like i don't care what you said or you didn't say i'm not spending my free time going through your videos to see what you said just take them down like take down your videos that says anything that could have made somebody mad and uh, and stop making videos essentially what? they can't tell you you cannot make videos but they essentially said like it would be wise for you to reconsider at time on social media going forward in our program and if you don't you could be removed from our program wow wow and so that's how serious it got and that was with me never saying where i went to school so that's just the cautionary tale to some of those guys out there who are on instagram who think that they're like immune people if they get mad enough they can go
0: pretty intense and try and hunt down where you're at and find yeah Yep. So, uh, so how did your behavior change? I mean, what, what did you do? Do you, do you take those particular videos down? Do you stop posting videos?
1: Oh yeah. I mean, when your program director tells you like one more phone call from someone else's clinical site and you're out and your future career is gone, you're, you immediately take down the YouTube videos. You're like, this isn't worth it to me. Yeah. Uh, I was just talking about what we're learning and doing and about my career, but apparently it's so inflammatory to a certain group of people that uh, that I'm going to take it down. And I it's I think it's currently public again. I said, the day after I graduated, I was like, public, 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 <laughs> screw you. So it, uh, it all went back. But, uh, but at the That's time, awesome. the, the rest of the year and a half
0: that I had in okay. the program, it was private. And- so- uh, Yeah. So that was an experience. So, so let's talk about this because I have always kind of balked at this idea of, you know, SRNAs or med students or whoever, you just need to keep your head down. Like, you know, that's like a mantra that people hear, keep your head down. If no one knows your name, then that's the best case scenario. Don't raise a ruckus. Don't do anything. Don't misstep. Don't don't upset anybody. And like, I've naturally, I think, been a gregarious guy, maybe, maybe after I left the awkward phase of like being a senior in high school, (laughs) I don't know, maybe it took me a little bit longer, but like at some point in my life, I just became someone who wanted to chat other people up, you know? So to me, when I entered, like I was a very social person as a critical care nurse, I worked in that job for five years and was well-connected in the hospital. So I was, I was used to chatting up surgeons, to chatting up critical care physicians, and you get into anesthesia school and everyone's like, keep your head down. No one needs to know your name. And so yeah. how do you how do you balance that? What advice would you give to SRNAs? I mean, there, there are people obviously who are not going to listen to this podcast. They don't listen to podcasts. They're not on social media. I don't know if we're really talking to those folks. There's people who are going to listen to this podcast who maybe don't have Instagram accounts or, you know, uh, Facebook accounts or whatever, but like... For those people, there seems to be like a group of people who really do keep their head down. Like they're off social media. They fly under the radar. They don't really post a whole lot. They might they might cruise the forums. They might be on there. They might be looking for stuff, reading things, or whatever. But they're not actively putting their own thoughts out there. And on the other end of the spectrum, you've got people like you said with tens of thousands of followers. With Mm -hmm. you know potentially, uh, you know, financial arrangements with companies that they're like, it's an income stream for them that, that may be important for them as they go through their education. That may be part of the way how they're supporting their journey to become a CRNA, you know? So how do you reconcile those two extremes of social media use?
1: Yeah, so I mean, obviously the the group that's way under the radar, which I was I at that time where I was about to get thrown out of the program, I was very jealous of those people. I was like, why couldn't I just been a person who has (laughs) no desire for social media and flies under the radar and nobody notices me and I have no problems? Those guys, like one of my best buddies in school, was that exact person. Like he literally has no Facebook or Instagram, and I was like. His name's Caleb, and I was like, Caleb, why can't I just be like you? Like, show me the way. And uh, and it's much easier on them. So for them, it's fine. I, I think they're probably not listening to this podcast in the first place. But uh, but the other people, like myself and you, who just talk a lot and and you know have no problems, you know interacting with everybody, and actually feel stifled if we can't interact and be social. Um, it is a lot harder. Because you're right. There is definitely a vibe in, in a very vocal, uh, you know, sentiment when you start school of like, keep your head down. You're not to be seen, uh, or you're to be seen and not heard. Like your opinion doesn't matter. You're kind of worthless. You're an idiot. You don't know what you're talking about. You're always wrong. You know, just you kind of like a whipped dog a little bit. And it's, I really bucked that kind of mentality yeah. as well. And i I I would like to poll and and speak to the the preceptors that trained me because <laughs> I would like to know like how I came off to them. Some of them probably disliked me, but I would say a majority of them liked me. But obviously knew that I was not going to be a very silent CRNA. Yeah, and uh, and so I think the way to to temper that because honestly you will get yourself in trouble if you're just too over the top is to to try and be silent as much as you can. And if you're a very talkative person like me, that's going to bring you to about 50% of the talking (laughs) ability you should be doing. So it'll be like to the average person's speaking ability. There you go. And and so that is going to get you in less trouble. And also start to think a little bit more before you're speaking, uh, especially in clinical. I found that if my instinct, if a scrub tech made a funny joke or something, my instinct in normal time would be to laugh and respond and, you know, be you know, friendly with them. But my, but I found that in training, I had to realize like, okay, I'm not supposed to be here right now. Like I have to envision this situation as like, I'm invisible. I'm not really Mm. here. If I speak, I'm speaking out of turn and I'm not really supposed to be interacting unless I'm spoken to. Like if someone is speaking directly to me, of course, respond. But, um, but even then, like sometimes the circulators or, you know, somebody would try and engage with me in like a, conversation that was like, what'd you do this weekend? Blah, blah, blah. And I found that when I was in training, I had to realize like, okay, if I answer, I, I, you know, of course don't just ignore them. But if I answer, it needs to be like, oh, nothing much, just a chill weekend. Like I'm not going to, I'm not going to engage with a drawn out conversation because if you do the CRNA with you is probably going to look at you after about two or three sentences out of your mouth, they're going to give you a look to let you know, like (laughs) you've said enough. Like you're not supposed to be speaking anymore. Reel it in, buddy. Yeah, reel it in. Like you got three sentences to tell them what you did this weekend and shut up for the next hour because that's nice. that your talking is done.
0: Yeah, and, I, uh, I, I took a similar vein. You know, I think there were so many unresponded to jokes. Like you have the perfect little continuation yeah. or you want to just chime in because you want to be part of the team or whatever. And there were so many times that I would be like laughing hysterically hysterically about something that going on in the O.R., but I would just keep that to myself, chuckle under my mask and, you know, keep monitoring the patient, pushing the medication, whatever. And I held that until I got out of school. And now, like, I walk in the room and I'm like, what's up? Sometimes. Yeah. my I think yeah. my wife is actually probably the more the social person in the OR. But uh, but there's those opportunities in context, you know. So, But let's pull it back to social media. I mean, what do you say about, you know, so there's this keep your head down mentality, but as, as you are one of those people, you came into anesthesia training with this YouTube channel. You've shared your own personal story a little bit, but for these folks who are out there with mega followings, like there's a thing in social media that like, you need to keep putting content out. You need to keep posting to keep your followers engaged and interested in what you're doing. So what tips would you have for people who are maybe in that vein, uh, on how to continue to be successful in anesthesia school, but maintain your presence on social media?
1: So I found that my, uh, you know, counterparts in social media who were going through school at the same time as me, who didn't seem to have as much trouble as me, and some of them did reach out to me and let me know they had trouble as well. So it, it wasn't just me, but other people who seemed to go a little smoother, they, they were very, what I'd say is vanilla. Like if I spoke to them, you know, personally, like on the phone or through direct messages, they could be very candid about their thoughts and their, their ideas about things. But when you're public on social media, especially in training, you have to be extremely, I say the word vanilla in the sense of like very palatable to everyone. You cannot make an opinion or a stance about whether it's your independent practice as a CRNA, or you can't talk about political issues. You can't talk about something that you kind of know someone else may disagree with. You don't put opinions out there that you know um, could be controversial. Because, you know, even though it's your social media account, it you're going to deal with a blowback from that. That's just not worth it. You're going to deal with internet trolls, commenters, and things like that. So you find that you, you sadly, you kind of censor yourself. You, you yeah. have to, and it, everyone does, like you mentioned, in general, even now, everyone online, whether you're a CRNA student or not, you censor yourself. You should be censoring yourself a little bit because the online forums and online committee, er, er, uh, community is not a protected space. That is not your private space, truly. It's a public space and the real world around you is watching and it can snowball very quickly and have real world consequences that are much more grand than you expected them to be or intended for them to be from a statement you made or a picture you posted. Um, But if you bring it back to the micro community of CRNA school, um, yeah, I mean, if you're an influencer on there, stick to um, study tips and, uh, you know, your dog and, you know, like basic (laughs) stuff, like it sounds very silly, but it's, you have to keep it very chill and very vanilla
0: because that's what, that's what keeps you from getting phone calls from your program director. Yeah. Yeah. Right. 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 Wait, I was reading through, there's actually, I mean, for those who are interested there, there are like peer reviewed published journal articles about, how to conduct oneself on social media and, you know, tips and that kind of stuff. There's also a ton of just common media, you know, news outlets and different commentators out there that are sharing opinions on how to navigate social media, not just how to like... You know, be an influencer or whatever, you know, to maximize social media for your company and that kind of stuff, but actually like for learners, for college students, how to navigate those channels. So, th- you know, that's just a, a search engine click away uh, for people to find out about those things. But one of the things that I thought was interesting through reading some of those articles was, was the idea of one, anonymize yourself, like not necessarily who you are, but the companies that you work for, the schools that you go to be completely anonymous in terms of your association with these uh, with these companies and corporations and healthcare organizations. And then two, as you just said, simply stay positive. Like talk yeah. about the nursing profession, talk about the medical profession, talk about the things that you're learning. You know, you can make your TikTok videos where you point to all of the interesting things that, you know, the three tips for whatever. And, and all of that is kind of benign, but you can still just, you know, pump out, Uh, content that other people are finding interesting. And you're staying away from the controversial topics. There's a lot of information out there to share and to promote on social media without having to step on a landmine to, you know, especially self-induced. Right. Totally. It's, you know, it's important to figure out what, what can I say that's a
1: positive thing to put out there in the world that there shouldn't be anybody who would be that inflamed by in today's modern society, you can you know post a picture of you eating ribs, and you'll have the vegan community after you. So I mean, <laughs> hard it's hard to find something that not everyone's going to hate in some way. But um, but yeah, you, there are there are ways, and you have to be intentional about it. If you're going to be on social media posting things, you just have to be intentional. And like you said, anonymous is the best way in the sense of like not saying where you go to school. It all I always cringe a little bit when. I see so many students cuz they get proud of where they're going to school or yep. what they're doing and they they post the name of their school in front of their school on their major social media account and they have maybe like 3 or 4,000 followers and they think it's no big deal but it's like even with just 3 or 4,000 followers if you put your name out there next to your university or next to the hospital you're working at you have now opened yourself up for a lot of things that can come your way that you're not going to you're not
0: going to want to deal with if they do come your way so I just recommend not doing that. Yeah, that's interesting. That's a good tip. How has your presence online changed after school? I mean, obviously you said that you published a bunch of videos that you had taken down during school, but do you still filter yourself? Do you still, are are there topics that you don't talk about or, I mean, like obviously there are, right? Because there like, you've got a, you've got a vein, you've got a theme that you're working off of, but even within the things that you're passionate to talk about, um, are there things that you filter out? I am a lot less filtered now. Okay. And
1: part of that filtering I mean, part of that is because I was filtered as a student so much, I was like, the moment I graduate, forget this. And then I realized as soon as I got out, I was like, well, I can't actually forget this because now I have to be a professional <laughs> in okay. the, yeah, in yeah, the yeah. career field. And so I do have to filter myself a little bit, but nothing terrible. Like I don't, I don't, res- I don't change my opinion on things or say things that are not accurate. Or if there's something to discuss, it's not that I just won't discuss it. But if I do discuss something that is a little bit more of a hot topic like medical direction model or, um, you know, the DNP versus master's degrees or, you know, all these types of things that can independent practice for CRNAs, I will talk about those issues. And I do have videos about those issues and topics on my channel. But I'm all, I also try and stay very um you know, positive in the sense of I speak about the positives about CRNAs yeah. and not so much the negatives about other people who compete against CRNAs, sure. if that makes sense. Yeah. Like I just don't even go that direction at all if I can help it and just pretty much just present my side of of what I'm talking about. And if I have to approach another side of the story, I will try my best to be as um, Non-biased or unbiased or whatever, uh, as I can, which is impossible, but I still try to to do my best to represent another side of the story if I need to. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, I, f- I feel like that's just professional courtesy, and I would
0: hope that someone else who might have opposing views to mine would do the same. I think that's such a great word, man, and it's something that has been a theme of mine on the podcast. Is just to you know, like I don't know, I've got a show back on from the head of the bed that talked about anesthesia care team models, and it's it's very objective information about how these models originated and how they're set up and what the billing reimbursement rates are and that kind of stuff. But, you know, I, I'm very intentional to not take political topics head on because I, I don't know if it really serves anybody. You know, I think about like the edification potential of me talking about something controversial and and sometimes, sometimes those things need to get talked about. I mean, and that's fair. And, and, and social media is a, is a conversation space where hard discussions can happen at times. But I, I generally think about the theme of, you know uh, how can I benefit the entire anesthesia community? Certainly I'm a CRNA. So I'm, you know, uh, a huge advocate for our community and, and other CRNAs, but I'm also very interested in that. I mean, there are, there are other anesthesia providers in the United States. There's other anesthesia providers worldwide. And I would love to think that, you know, if I do a clinical topic on something that it's a, it's open and accessible to anyone who's interested in anesthesia or emergency medicine, uh, pre-hospital care, whatever, you know, that those people can feel like, they're welcomed and that they're included and that we're trying to do something that's edifying and beneficial to the global healthcare community.
1: Totally. Yeah. Cause the reality is, I mean, the future of, of healthcare and anesthesia and medicine is collaborative, you know, you, we collaborating with lots of different professionals and you're not trying to isolate or alienate anybody and tell someone that you don't like them or they don't belong, but you also have to say like, we belong to and not treated, you know, miss uh, inappropriately, we all deserve to be treated correctly and uh, with autonomy and respect together as a team. And uh, so that's the the conversation going
0: forward. So yeah, I don't try and alienate anybody as well on my channel. Well, I think one of the, you know, I heard a quote a long time ago that was simply, excellence builds platforms. And I think that has ramifications, you know, when we talk about social media platforms, one is a, as a student, right? Like, have you earned your stripes yet? Have you earned your credential? You know, are you, are you in a position where you can really throw around your opinions on a particular topic? But even once you're a licensed professional, I feel like, uh, in terms of social media, if you stay authentic, if you stay true to facts, obviously, I mean, we're talking about healthcare here, right? There's Mm -hmm. a, there's a peer review process. There's, it's a scientific domain that we work in. There are things that are known. There's things that are unknown. And while opinions might be interesting on topics that we can be opinionated about, like oftentimes it's about like, you know, can you present yourself? Can you present your opinions in a way that is true and factual, and, and in a way that is interesting and intriguing, and, and that's where I think social media is such a powerful tool, is that it gives people a platform to create very interesting, to, you know, content. Whether it's a, a four-second TikTok video on a loop that you're talking about whatever, you know, you're going to catch people's attention with that. But if you keep that that value or that theme of excellence builds platforms if i'm if I'm hitting the ball out of the park every time if I'm looking to not offend people or piss people off but I'm just looking to do the best that I can do with what is in front of me and operating off of factual information then I think you're starting from a pretty healthy spot yeah yeah I think that's and I think you make a good point
1: about um, the benefits of social media I mean we sp- spoke so much about the risks and the dangers of it and i don't want to scare people off from having a social media account like please don't just go delete all your social media accounts i i honestly i mean obviously from my personal example i believe social media is an amazing tool and i mean you have your podcast which is an amazing tool it helps a lot of people um i had a student last week in clinicals who came up to me and i you know i didn't know who he was but he came up to me and said oh are you uh, bolt crna and i said yeah and he's like oh i've watched your videos for years you know that your videos encouraged me to get my application together and to apply for CRNA oh, school awesome, and to do man. these things. And and so when I hear people say that kind of stuff, I'm like, oh man, you forget that people watch your stuff sometimes. Like somebody's out there watching it <laughs> and it helps somebody out. And you know, you're just recording a video on, in your you know h- house, but somebody g- got benefit from that and value from that. And so I feel like more yeah. people need to be out there providing that value and giving that to to people. And even if it's just as simple as advocating per, for the profession in the sense of just letting people know what a CRNA is, they, they see an Instagram account and they're like, what the heck is this uh, John Lawrence CRNA? What does that mean? And they click on your image and they like, oh, this is an anesthesia provider. I mean, that's one more step. We complain all the time that people don't know who CRNAs are or what that means or whatever. If we all had a social media account where we had pictures and videos and stuff talking about our career. Way more people would know about us and it would be a lot more of a, um, a lot less education that we'd have to do day of surgery when somebody walks in and you say you're their CRNA for the day and they don't know what you mean. So yeah. that's I think it's a major benefit. But like we said, there are definitely some pitfalls and you have to be just wise with it.
0: Yeah, I think I'm constantly surprised that people listen to the podcast. <laughs> uh-huh. Tons of
1: people do. Do you know, I don't think I ever told you this. We've had a few conversations, but the, uh, when I started my program, the very first day of my program at Union University, they had a anesthesia like CRNA school tip list yeah, yeah. For, for us to all take home for like helpful tips. And listen to Head of the Bed Podcast was one of the uh, top tips
0: nice all of us students got. Yeah. I was like, That's awesome. What podcast is this? And I listened to it and it's amazing. Oh yeah. No. It's been fun. I mean, I, I just look at it as a as a hobby to be able to get info out there to other people that hopefully will be uh, helpful to folks, but like yourself, I'm I'm always surprised when someone comes up and says, "Oh, hey, yeah, I've listened to your podcast, and we're meeting for the first time." Because I don't think anybody listens to this, but whatever. Uh, oh yeah, they, 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 they will now that I've got Jason Bolt on. Whoa. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> You were way more famous before you're, I ever came. You're, along. you're electrifying
1: the podcast, dude. <laughs> I have a lightning bolt behind me, guys. He can see it on the video, yeah. and uh, yeah, he was he was. Uh, it, I don't what? know mocking it before. I don't know what it was,
0: but I wasn't mocking uh, it, dude. I think it's legit. Yeah,
1: we're, it's uh, it's pretty cool. It's ACDC and my last
0: name all together. That's awesome, dude. We're taking the energy up. Thunder. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's awesome, man. So let me talk to you a little bit about, so you're obviously like super involved in YouTube, Facebook, uh, Instagram, TikTok of recent. So people can follow you in all these accounts through Bolt right. CRNA. When when you, and you obviously have like your MO online is talking about anesthesia, talking about CRNA. So you're a healthcare provider who has healthcare oriented social media platforms. What are the platforms that you find interesting when you look at other social media accounts in terms of healthcare? Like what are people doing out there that you're like that's an interesting thing. I mean, I think I think in the last maybe, I don't know, year, two years, we've seen like the proliferation of skinny scrub pants. Like that those things those things get a mm-hmm. lot of hits. I mean, pe- oh, yeah. people are stoked about skinny scrub pants, you know, uh-huh. uh, shots with you and like scrubs in a stethoscope. It's going to be, it's going to be a, a crowd pleaser. Oh, blowing <laughs> up,
1: Yeah, dude. That's my post for tomorrow is me and my tight joggers and a scrub. <laughs> Not really.
0: Get it done, <laughs> Not really. man. Maybe it will. Maybe,
1: maybe it will. we'll see. Maybe I'm we sh- convinced-
0: maybe we should both do that.
1: <laughs> oh yeah. That'll be the, that'll be the ad for this, when
0: this podcast posts, yeah. this'll be us in a uh, tight jogger. I need to, I guess I have to use some medical tape to tape up my scrubs. So they're tight at the ankles. I don't know. I don't have any tight. There you go. Scrub pants, that'll, look, I, that'll be awesome. No, but yeah, like, I mean, I'm, those
1: I'm, are
0: good. <laughs> I'm those obviously are good. I'm obviously joking around. I mean, I'm not knocking on on folks who do that too much, you know, a little bit, but not too much. I'm knocking. Yeah, I don't want to be I don't want to be called a troll or outright or anything like that. But but when you look at like you're on social media a lot. So when you look at other healthcare providers, what are people doing that you find interesting that you're like that, that is gaining traction with people? I think um, the, the most followed people that I enjoy
1: is can, people who show a candid behind the scenes view of what their career is like in healthcare, whether it be nurses, I follow like some nurses accounts and uh, of course, CRNA and SRNA accounts. And they just have more, you know, a candid sh- sh- picture of them like studying at Saturday you know, night or something like that. And it lets people, I find that social media is like information, like you're, it's data you're exchanging yeah. that people are getting and you would not get that data otherwise. The scrub pictures and the overproduced selling of things, that's not interesting to me. But um, but yeah, like it's showing me a real picture of like you studying all night on a Saturday. If I was trying to apply to CRNA school and I saw somebody doing that, i be like, okay, so this is real. Like this yeah. is actually the real life what they're dealing with. Um, I find that stories are very helpful too. I really like people's little stories and their little clips because they're very candid. They're very open about like, this is what my actual personal day-to-day life is like. This is what I'm struggling with. This is like, I'm trying to like Rihanna Ferriel is a a friend of mine on Instagram. And she's like, she has an adopted daughter. And she also is trying to flip houses. And she also is a new CRNA who's, who's, you know, about about a year out of school. And so you see what like the struggles, it's almost like I kind of equate it to um, uh, like, what is that? Um, Reality TV. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, it's like reality TV. It's like 2021's reality TV now, watching people behind the scenes in their real life. There's a couple I follow on TikTok. They're not even medical, but they um they just recently went through a divorce. It was a couple's TikTok together. And then like a few weeks ago, they went through a divorce wow. and or they're split up, I mean, which I guess they're going to divorce. But now you're like watching her TikToks and you're realizing like she's going through this, you know, personal struggle or something. So it's uh it's kind of like reality TV, yeah. but a lot more real than reality TV. And, uh, and I like that. I like that about TikTok and Instagram and stuff is people just showing
0: true behind the scenes of who they are, the humanity side yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think social media has given people a platform to be the producers of their own stories. You know, you think yeah. about like, I don't know, when you and I were growing up, we're like, like real world on MTV was hot. I mean, that, you yeah. know, and like the idea that a camera crew would be in an apartment and film people and what real life is like and how everyone, yeah. everyone can do that. Everyone's oh. got, you are your own camera crew. You know, you can post whatever you want, which is obviously one of the pitfalls of of social media, which we've already talked about. But um, yeah, I think that's interesting. Uh, what What would be your tips for like the next social media star? I mean, I think we're just getting going. You know, I felt like, I felt like I was like, Cutting edge back in 2015, starting a podcast. And now there's there's a virtual plethora of anesthesia podcasts. There are oh a lot gosh. of stuff. The YouTube videos. Insane. You you were doing YouTube back when a lot of people probably didn't even know what was up with YouTube. You've been doing yeah. this in a long time.
1: Yeah. It was it was a fair, I mean it wasn't new in 2015, but it wasn't nearly as proliferative as it is now, where it's just everybody doing it. I mean, everyone has a YouTube channel, like you said, with podcasts. Podcast used to be like a whole setup and production. And I mean, only like certain people did it who were like techie people, really. But outside of that, I really didn't know anyone doing podcasts. But now, I mean, you've got like people who definitely don't know technology who are just have like downloaded a simple app on their phone who are just recording into an app and uploading it like a lot. I mean, you know, I've thought like maybe I need to do a podcast. I mean, I, I have a YouTube channel. Maybe I should do a podcast. I just don't have the bandwidth for it. But Right. Um, but yeah it's just it's it's spreading out everywhere, but I think the future, I guess I would say if you're gonna be like the next big person on social media, one I think is authenticity. I think authenticity is a major portion of it, and a lot of people already do that pretty well, but I would say there's there's a decent amount of production with some of the bigger people and some um I would say fakeness that people can sense, and I don't think people like it people don't watch you know watch people's social media accounts for fake stuff. They want they want more real things. And I would also say just find something that's unique about you. You have to have a niche. Like you have to have something about you that makes you uniquely you. And I think we all have that. There is something like yours is I would say just from knowing you a little bit is like your outdoorsy ability to like go out there and like rescue medicine and things like that, (laughs) that you're very involved in on the side. That's a very unique thing that not everybody does. You know, your beard is is pretty cool. That could be like a trademark. thing. I didn't
0: know the beard was going to make an appearance on the podcast, man. I appreciate it. The
1: beard is coming up. Yeah. The beard is start a YouTube channel just about my beard. You will. This You need photos. You need an Instagram account. These photos need to come out All right. with beer. All right. All right. But, uh, yeah, you've got some trademark stuff. So everybody has that about them. There's something that's unique about you that makes you interesting. And I think if you're going to be successful, you need to figure out what that is, tap into it. Of course, my area of you know expertise is like anesthesia. And it was like being an anesthesia student. Now it's being a practicing CRNA. So find your area if you're a crafty mom and stays at home or whatever. There are some crafty moms out there who have huge social media followings because a bunch of the other crafty moms follow them and they all like, you know, crochet, uh, you know, potholders together and stuff. And it's really, you know, a huge community. So that's what I say you should do. Figure out what your features are that make you interesting. Your trademark things play into that because that's kind of your theme. And uh, and figure out what community you're trying to talk to, because you can't be one of these people who just broad spectrum. I can't I can't try and encompass rock climbers, nurses, um, you know, engineers, you know, stay at home moms like I can't encompass everybody like yeah. you can't do that. So you have to figure out your audience. And, uh, and once you do, you try and, you know, sell or, or present yourself, market yourself to them.
0: Man, I think a lot of people are. I I think all of that is phenomenal advice. I think a lot of people are learning a fair bit about healthcare anesthesia specifically. Like they're learning like didactic style information through social media. Whether it's watching somebody's YouTube video, it could be a skill where like a video is super helpful. Like how to how to do airway management. Or it could be, like, I know some of the science and, like, anatomy and physiology and pharmacology YouTube channels have just blown up. There's almost Hmm. an augmentation process going on to traditional didactic education that's based in a university setting uh, through social media platforms, not to mention programs like Apex, Core Concepts, Prodigy. Uh, I, I don't think a lot of people are talking about this phenomenon, but, like, healthcare providers today are, are learning so much through outlets that are not associated with institutions of higher education. They are not. And, and so it's interesting because it's happening. You can't stop that. I mean, people are learning stuff, but there's also like realm for caution in that world, right? Because, you know, you and I are doing a podcast. I think about this all the time doing podcast is what I'm saying accurate you know, in mm-hmm. and, and delineating about is this my opinion about how I is this is this John's style of doing something? Or is this peer reviewed, like best practice that's literature based, that's evidence based? So what would you right. say what would you say about any of that in terms of like, I mean, I, I think when I think about the future, like when you look at the end of our careers we're going to look back on doing this podcast together and be like man we had no idea you know yeah, i think it's going to sh- I, I think things are going to change dramatically in the next 20 years in terms of how people learn things where people get their information from and what that means for you know institutions of higher education for peer reviewed journals uh, all that kind of for for national associations like the AANA i think all of these organizations are really anchored in philosophies and mindsets that are probably 20 to 30 years old and social media is kind of like oh look at that that's new that's interesting that's cute like that's what the kids are doing these days but really this is like a huge wave of uh kind of a domain where people are actually learning things so what would you say
1: to all that I think you're right. And I, actually, even when I was in training, some of our professors in lecture would pull up YouTube videos, we would watch YouTube videos to supplement some of like, if they were talking about a certain, um, you know, theory or, or intubation technique or whatever, there was there would be a YouTube video that was showed that demonstration, and they'd pull that up and be like, So this is what this looks like. Like, this is how you intubate yeah. the Miller blade, you know, with this technique on a patient or whatever. So I mean, that's already happening for sure. And uh, we used APEX as well. APEX was required in our program as first years. We had to buy APEX and they integrated APEX throughout all three years of the program and even had test questions on our test that wasn't anything they addressed in class, but was in the APEX chapter or whatever related to the topic, if it was on respiratory or something. So it's already happening. And I think you're right. It's only going to grow more and more and more. And for us, how that plays into like what we're doing now, talking on a podcast or making YouTube videos, it definitely um, is something I've considered for the last few years. Because once you, I mean, once you're out here in this community like we are, and you're like graduate-trained, licensed healthcare professionals. What you're saying does matter. And and if you say the wrong thing or you give the wrong information, people may take that information and use it. And then they're going, then you're held responsible for that. So um, I have people all the time who ask me, Jason, why don't you like teach on this pharmacology topic? Jason, why don't you uh, address this type of literature, research or whatever? There's a lot of like more of the academic feel that people want me to branch off into and I don't typically do much of because I know that if I say things, like I have to sit down and do research on it right? and it takes time and it's a responsibility. And once I post that, I'm responsible for what I put out there. And if I did it, uh, you know, I posted a research article that wasn't the, you know, that was flawed or had issues and somebody, you know, uses that information. I, you know, I feel responsible for that. So yeah, you, for people in the professional space like we are in, you are held to a certain standard of you can't just say whatever you want in your podcast in reference to like academic topics or or pharmacology or pathophysiology or something. You have to be careful. That's why most of my topics are like the top 10 things I hated about CRNA school. <laughs> <and like laughs> simple stuff. <laughs> Cause I'm not trying to do 10 hours of research on my on my Saturday off from work. I got a full time yeah, job. It's, but, legit. Uh, it's legit. But uh yeah. So, I mean, that's one element to it, guys. That's, that, there's your answer for why I'm not doing a bunch of pharmacology topics.
0: Yeah, it's true, man. Uh, I mean, the topics that I do, I usually try to find people who are way smarter than me uh, to bring on the show to talk about whatever their research or literature is that they're involved with. But stuff that I put out directly, I'm very cautious with, and, and I oh. want to take that time to read. And it's it's surprising to me and my wife about how much time and energy those things can take. Cause it's not sure. it's not just me rolling up and saying, Well, here's my opinion on something, because you want it to be accurate. You want it to actually be helpful for folks. And then the the crazy thing about it is that unlike a textbook or a journal article that has updated editions. You know, podcast that you you do or YouTube video that you do four years ago that said a particular thing, that is still out there as if it is fresh content. Yet yes. the science may have actually changed, and it may take people. If there's somebody, if somebody's locked and loaded with you, and you are you are a rock star to them, and they are working through your online page or whatever, it could take them six months to a year to catch up to some update that you post down the road because. That I think that is one of the pitfalls on you know podcasts, YouTube videos, social media platforms, is that stuff change like information changes, yet your post kind of lives on eternally.
1: It you know? does. And I don't know how people do with your podcast. Like if you get a message from people, like an email or something that somebody's watched something from four years ago, but on YouTube, I get a notification. If somebody comments on a video that was literally years ago, I'll get a comment of them like questioning something or asking me about something I said. And I'm thinking, oh my God, I was like a first year anesthesia student at that point. Like I barely remember what I said and it may have been not totally entirely (laughs) correct. So (laughs) let me go back and rewatch this video and figure out what exactly what I said. And that's that's why I try not to say too much. Like you said, you you say too much of like definitive scientific research, whatever it can change or you might've like not known the full story of it or something, you really have to do a lot of time investment to make sure that you know what
0: you're saying. Exactly. I I think that for, for anyone who's still listening, I would say, you know, if you're a content creator, you've got to put the time in, you've got to make sure your stuff is accurate. And I think it's a responsibility to post references or links to where you're getting information. If you are talking about like legit, accurate information and then, um, I think for anyone who's listening to the content on a social media platform to learn about stuff, you still need to go and check textbooks, peer-reviewed journal articles. You need to cross-reference something before you just walk off, you know, walk into clinical with, you know, the latest podcast or YouTube video that you watch and go, "Oh, well, this medication works like this and I'm going to do this technique because I saw" you know, Jason or John do that on their platform. Like you need to do some cross-referencing before you integrate that into real patient care. Totally. Yeah. It's, and even our textbooks. I mean, I remember in, in school when the professors
1: would be saying like, so this textbook says this, and it was published in 2015." but it's sudden it's like changed. like the fluid. Um, I remember that the fluid replacement models, they used to teach us of like a four, two, one method where you, you would end up giving like two and a half liters of fluid replacement to a patient in an open belly case in three hours or something. And in in actual clinical practice, you find that a lot of that has changed. Like you're not going to give that much fluid that they don't want you just to slam people with all that fluid and stuff. So even in class, you will be learning things from our textbooks that your professors will tell you like, so this is technically what the textbook says, but in clinical practice currently, this is not recommended. Um, So yeah, that's just another example of like it you just have to really be cross-referencing things and making sure you're you're
0: implementing what you know is correct. Yeah. Well, man, uh, kind of wrapping up here, just have a few more questions for you and then we should sound off. But what, what frustrates you when on, in terms of social media, I mean, I I should probably leave that question as broad as possible, you know, but maybe when you, whether that's either as a content, I'll let you take it however you want it as a content producer, as someone who has a presence on social media and you've got followers, uh, or as a consumer, you know, as someone who's on there floating around, looking at other, uh, pages and that kind of stuff, what are the things that frustrate you that you see online?
1: Uh, I would say as a content creator, the most frustrating thing I come across is internet trolls. And I think a lot of content creators will tell you that is that there's quite a few people who are just, they have no, it's like a random account they created with a fake name and there's no picture and there's no followers and they've never posted anything before. And it's just, it's just a fake account that they've created to harass people that they don't, that they disagree with, or maybe they just get pleasure out of harassing people. I don't know. But there is a decent amount of them and you will come across them. And I'll say TikTok is, is a newer platform I've been using. And there's, I, I'm, it must be because the age skew is younger there. And there's quite a few like 12-year-olds who are just chilling out at home, uh, skipping out on their Zoom class that they're yeah, supposed yeah. to be paying attention to. And they're just on there trolling people. But, um, but yeah, and also in the medical community, like I said, the, the politics and the issues between different providers sometimes. You will find that there are some sad people who actually just create blank accounts so they can harass other people like CRNAs that they just do not like that you exist. And they just don't want you on social media or talking about your career. So they'll just get on there and comment trash yep. stuff. And so that was just probably my biggest frustration with social media. I have learned over the years of being online to just simply block them like that's my advice to anybody who who's dealing with trolls like the minute you start reading the sentence before you even finish the sentence you can tell if it's going a direction of, of troll like nature just, block, just click their name hit block and it deletes the comment and blocks them they'll probably create another account and come yeah. back but you'll just block that one too so
0: yeah. just move on don't even read it or respond to it uh, and, and I think that brings me to one of my last questions which is like how do you monitor, you know, mental health in terms of social media consumption? So that's as a content producer, I think that's a great tip just to, you know, sh- uh, as Seth Godin says, shun the disbelievers. You know, you got, you're going to have people that look at what you're doing. They either look at your success. They look at your platform. They look at the number of followers. They look at your opinions on something and they don't like it. And they're going to come at you and you can just shun those folks. Cause they're not, they're not for you. They're not helping you. They're not, it's not a synergy vibe. It's none of that. So just Move, yeah. move on. But in terms of pacing your own mental health, I mean, do you do, you do things? Do you take breaks? Uh, you know, you've just spoken about like ignoring the trolls, but is there other stuff that you do or that you would recommend, uh, you know, uh, consumers of social media or other content providers do and in terms of their mental health? The problem with social media is it works mostly yeah. up algorithms. And so it, as a
1: content creator, it's analyzing how often you're posting like YouTube, especially I know if you post less than one video per week, it's really not going to recommend your videos to people. It's going to put you, it's going to kind of put you off in a corner. Your video is not going to get suggested to people who are searching for CRNA topics. And they're going to suggest other people instead of you who post more often. Yeah. So you really have to post at least once a week. So you can't truly take a real vacation away from it or else. YouTube punishes you. Oh, yeah. that's
0: super interesting.
1: Yeah. yeah, it will punish you. And I'm pretty sure TikTok and Instagram and stuff is similar in the sense of like, if they if you don't put things out pretty regularly, um, at least a few times a week, they're not going to, you're not going to be searchable very much for other people to yeah. find you. Um, so it's hard to take a true break. Although sometimes I have tried, I've been like, I need a little bit of time away from this. But, um, but yeah, I mean, you have to protect your mental health in the sense of just blocking people. Like that's, that's what I do. If I, if I sense that there's people who are taking up my time or energy that I don't want to give them, I just block them quickly. Um, and also, I mean, you can reduce your stuff if you feel like you're, or or you can, what some people will do is they'll post and they just won't check the comments or they won't go back. They'll just post and then drop it and leave and
0: then forget about it. Yeah. So. That's it, sometimes you can do that too. For sure. I would recommend The Social Dilemma to anybody. Have you seen that film? I, you know, it's funny. Uh,
1: I was dating a girl who works for Facebook at the time that, that movie came out. She's oh, a, she actually has a PhD in psychology and she works as a user interface researcher for Facebook. So she explained to me the movie and and uh, and what was going on. And it I, we we didn't actually watch the movie. She didn't want she didn't want me to watch the movie but
0: <laughs> uh, because she's the she's like the person on the inside of the algorithm. Uh, have you have you ever seen the movie? I need to go back and uh, watch dude, it. Need, uh, there, need, there's these three dudes and they're all they're like they're obviously it's some sort of they either found triplets or it's a CGI like they're the brain of the algorithm. And they're told, they're like, they see this avatar of like the, you know, the social media user and they're like thrown, they're like, Oh, Jason hasn't checked his Instagram. We're going to, we're going to send him a pop-up notification. Bloop. So-and-so liked your account. And like, it's all about how it's the algorithm, right? Which could be a whole nother podcast, but Yeah. yeah, that's super. So you haven't seen it yet. I
1: haven't. I, I heard little <laughs> things about it like that. That made me know it was something, you know, not good. No bueno. But, uh, but yeah, I need to go back and watch the full thing. But definitely, the social media is is a very complex machine. Yeah. Of, of concepts and, and manipulation and stuff. So.
0: Well, I, w- I would love to hear what that individual uh, said about it. And, and I don't mean a dog on her. She's probably not the person inside of the algorithm, whatever. But somebody with a PhD in psychology who works in social media, that would be an interesting person to talk to you about social media.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she didn't say anything negative about it. She mostly just said that, you know, it's designed to um, deliver what people are needing essentially. Like it's the algorithm is deciding what you need based off of previous behaviors and it, you know, works to do that. Yeah. And uh, so, I mean, in an sense it is, but the scary point is, you know, what if it's, what if it decides what you need for you right. and guiding right. that, you know, and, and how much, what if, what if I don't want
0: what you think I need, you know? Right. So yeah, totally. Anyway. Yeah. That's the gist on that. And, and I would say in terms of mental health, just to keep that in mind that, there's an algorithm at play that's sending you information that it thinks that you want, or it's or it's just it's playing off what gets you hooked. You watch a series uh, uh, on a theme of certain videos, you're going to see more of that, and you just have to step back and remember that you are a person and you need to use social media for your own. Um, Benefit. You need to leverage social media, whether you're a content producer or I mean, I think we're all consumers of social media. You need to leverage that for whatever you need it to be. You know, if you need to check out for five minutes and relax and just look at silly videos to get a laugh. Me and a CRNA buddy of mine, all we do is just send the craziest videos that just make each other laugh. Uh, You know, that like I don't know, several times a week we'll we'll swap videos that are just completely ridiculous, uh, which is fun, you know, but I, I think in terms of mental health, you know, from a content producer, something that I do is, uh, like, like we've talked about shun, shun the unbelievers, you know, delete the trolls, block the trolls. And for me, I, I think I go back to that theme of just excellence builds platforms and I'm not, you know, you and I both have full-time jobs. We have careers outside of whatever we're doing online and yeah. I keep that in mind that like the people around me, they need me, they need my presence, and um, it's fun to do something indelible on social media, like to to put out a podcast, and it's gonna be there for people, you know. So I try to think like I'm gonna do this really well, and then it's there, and then I'm gonna move on. But I have not been someone who feels like I need to do this every week. I've got to keep putting stuff out, and maybe if it was a job, maybe if it was an income stream or something. Uh, then that would be important. But I would just recommend that people understand that you can take a break. You can step back if yeah. you need to. You can pace yourself. You can charge hard. If you're a content producer, you can have a theme in and in in an idea and a schedule and that kind of stuff if you want to you know, get on producing stuff. But if you need to take a break, uh, the world is going to be there when you come back in terms of oh, social like- media. There's social media apps too that allow you
1: to like pre-plan. You can say like, I need to post once a week or whatever. And I'm going to like create those posts and put it in that social media app. And that app will actually send it to Instagram on Monday, every week, whatever your planning schedule is. So you can kind of check out of it at that point if you want to and just not be involved. So in that sense, you can take a break. Um, or even like you said, just all be like, who cares about the algorithm and who cares about YouTube and whatever? My mental health is more worth it. And and I did after that scare when I was a second yeah. year and I thought I was going to get thrown out of the program. I, I don't even know how many weeks I took off from doing anything at all. I mean, it, and so I just said my mental health and my schooling is more important. So sometimes you just have to do that.
0: Yeah. I think there's seasons where I'm able to put more energy to the podcast and then, you know, guess what world? Like we live lives, you know, there's, there's moves that you do. There's kids that you have, there's trips that you take. And sometimes you just gotta, you gotta live the rest of your life. And, and while these accounts and, and content production can be important and meaningful and impactful for folks, uh, we're whole people and we live offline Uh, predominantly. So, well, that's kind of a crazy point to end on uh, since we're talking about social media, but Jason, I'm so stoked that you came on. Is there anything else that you'd want to say about, you know, either leveraging social media for one's benefit or avoiding the pitfalls, particularly for anesthesia learners?
1: Um, I would just say, you know, reiterate that I think social media is an amazing tool. I use it. I think everyone else should be using it. I think it's a great tool for advocating for CRNAs just use wisdom. Like we said, you know, there, there are ways that you can protect yourself from getting some of the negative blowback from social media. So I just
0: say, be, be anonymous, use some of the tips we talked about and use it wisely. That's awesome. Well, Jason, tell us uh, again, which platforms you're on, where can people find you? How can they find you? I am on YouTube at Bolt CRNA and Instagram and TikTok at Bolt
1: CRNA. And there's also a Facebook group that I'm trying to get more involved in using called Bolt CRNA.
0: So follow me in any of those places. Oh, nice. And if folks wanted to reach out to you in terms of the services that you provide, are they mainly geared towards critical care nurses trying to get into anesthesia school or do you do stuff for SRNAs as well?
1: Uh, yeah, for SRNAs who are trying to get their first job out of school. Sometimes I have people hit me up like trying to... They're, they're, interviewing for their first CRNA job and they want to do some kind of like run through mock interview as if I was like hiring them. And, um, and I've even helped people who are not directly doing anesthesia stuff, who are just looking for resume reviews for their, you know, university or whatever. It's kind of branched into a broader spectrum of things, but yeah, I try and help out anybody who needs it. And how can they connect with you in terms of that? Uh, it's on my YouTube channel. So right next to the subscribe button on your computer, when you're looking at my YouTube channel, you'll you'll see like a memberships and a join tab and you just okay. click it.
0: Cool. All right. Well, Jason Bolt of Bolt CRNA uh, Universe. Thank you right. so much, man. <laughs> yeah. Like the Marvel Avengers universe. That's I'm like right. i like creating a whole. Yeah. Th- I like that. That's
1: right. You, you've, got the, you've got the Bolt logo coming up. I can see it, dude. I need merchandise. That's the, that's the next need, thing. You need some merch, man. I know. Merch I with a lightning bolt on it. Yeah, I would buy it. You'll have to help me. You'll I have to help it. me design it. Let's Maybe it. jogger scrubs. Me and
0: you will model dude, these jogger scrubs with lightning bolt right on the butt. Dude, that is what I'm talking about. That's what right. I'm talking about. We're on it. Or at least like on the calves or something, you know, or I don't know, man. It, we got we got plans. Oh yeah. Um, we can it'll we can be cook good. This up. <laughs> Well, Jason, I hope this is the first of many podcasts, man. We've got so much to talk about. We've talked about so much offline uh, that undoubtedly we're going to have to come back and and take off some of these other topics. So thank you so much. I appreciate your time and energy. Yeah. Thank you, John. All right, folks. Be sure to follow Jason at BoltCRNA on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. And follow Anesthesia Guidebook while you're at it so my account won't be weak sauce anymore. And I'll see you next time. Thank you.